Welcome to the Revenue Builders Podcast, a weekly show featuring B2B sales leaders and executives. Hosted by five-time CRO John McMahon and force management co-founder John Kaplan, the show goes behind the scenes with the people who have been there, done that, and seen the results. If you enjoy our content, please subscribe, rate, and review the show to help us reach more people. Revenue Builders is brought to you by Force Management. We help companies improve sales performance, executing the growth strategy at the point of sale. Find us at forcemanagement.com. Enjoy today's episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Revenue Builders podcast. I'm John McMahon, and I'm here with my distinguished friend and colleague, the infamous big man who's now operating at a higher brain level, Johnny Kaplan. Oh, you got to tell me about that. I, I, uh, I appreciate that. You're not in Good the lower brain it. today, are you, buddy? I no, I'm not in the lower brain today. I'm feeling I got to be in the higher brain with this guest, man. With this guest is like wow. a, a rocket scientist. Go ahead no and introduce, doubt. man. This, this guest is naturally smarter than you and I. No, there's no doubt about it. He's a graduate of the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, where he earned his BS in mechanical engineering. I did electrical and mechanical was just as hard or easier. I don't know. We'll ask him. And then a master's in aerospace engineering. He just couldn't get enough. So I met him when he was on an interview um, at Blade Logic to be in the uh, services area. And I tried selling him on the company and selling him on the company. And he wound up staying with this company, eGenera which he'll have to tell you more about that. After that, though, we recruited him to BMC, where he wound up running worldwide cloud and data center automation sales, which was about a $200 million annual business. He's now responsible for worldwide partners, which we'll go into, the public sector business, and half of Asia Pac at MongoDB. So Cap. Please welcome my friend and superstar, Alan Chabra. Oh, Alan. <laughs> Alan, it's really, really good to see you, buddy. Welcome, welcome. Yeah, it's an honor, John, to be with both you guys, both Johns, and uh, I've listened to your podcast, and uh, I'm super excited that you guys have me today. Hey, Johnny, yeah. we got to yeah. talk about, before you get going on your little okay. thing here, getting going right. on the interview, Alan, please tell us about the interview with McMahon. Please. <laughs> well, uh, I think anyone who's had the honor, it's an honor, by the way, to be interviewed by John. Um, it's a badge of honor. Uh, I remember back in 2008, uh, I was being recruited by um, a number of the executives at Blade Logic. What a great company. Uh, John uh, was on the docket as a CRO. Uh, and that morning of the interview, I remember in, in Massachusetts as a typical, I think it must have been February, there was a blizzard. Probably uh, July. There was a blizzard. Yeah, maybe July. July. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I think spring training for the Sox had already started. So that's right. Um, there were th- there was three feet of snow on the on the on the ground in, in Massachusetts, no one on the road. At that time, uh, you know, I, I was um, I think I was about 10 years out of school. So I had a nice little geo prism. If anyone remembers that kind of car, a red one, yeah. uh, it, it did not do well in the snow. So I called um, the interviewing manager. I said, Hey, is the interview still on? So of course it is. I'm like, okay. 
So I didn't ask. So I put on my suit, got on the geoprism, uh, drove from, I think I, I was from Cambridge to Lexington to the office, uh, walk in. And the first guy I see is John uh, and half of my suits, you know, soaking wet because of the snow. And I got to sit down with John, have a great interview. Um, and I heard about John, but in, in, in face-to-face, it's both uh, exciting, but a little intimidating. Um, John does know how to read someone uh, very quickly, which is why he's such a great uh, sales leader and mentor. Um, and he asked me a question that I'll always remember. What makes you tick? And I would brought up in a world where in interview, you kind of give the answer that everybody wants. Like, you know, I care about, um, uh, work, you know, I care about working to service my customers and I care about, um, you know, uh, career development and I care about a challenge. He said, Alan, what really, what really makes you tick? And he, he really dug into it. And I think this is why, uh, at least I was offered the job, as I said, winning. I do care about winning. I care about winning cultures. Uh, being from Massachusetts, that's very important to me. Our sports teams, um, everything we do is about winning. It's just how we're brought up here. And John is a winner. And I, I think um, I remember that question. I, I ask it in every interview I do today. So thanks, John. Yeah. So, so the moral of the story, though, Alan, is you're one of the few people that said no to John McMahon and, and, and <laughs> survived the relationship to come back and work for him another day, right? I get reminded all the time because uh, uh, our CEO here at MongoDB is Dave Itacheria, who is also part of that interview process. And they remind me all the time that I did not um, take the job at Blade Logic. I stayed at Degenera. I took the same job a year later, but that was after Blade Logic's IPO and acquisition by BMC. So that's where I got to know Dave and uh, John better. And I think I did an okay job because later they recruited me to Mongo uh, back Good in choice. 2015. But yeah, that was something I, I, uh, a lesson learned, never say no to John or Dave. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Alan, but now like you're the EVP of you know, Worldwide Partners, but I think that title doesn't really do what you do justice because you've basically started the partner program at MongoDB. So, and you've done an incredible job, not only signing, but also managing and growing everyone from system integrators, cloud partners, channel partners, ISVs. Talk to us a little bit about not only managing the diversity of partnerships, but how do you actually like prioritize who you're going to go after first, second, third? Can you, you know, give, give the audience a little glimpse of that? Well, I think it's, um, it's a great question. Uh, when I joined back in 2015, uh, we had a great product with great customer adoption, but we were figuring out how to go to market and how to um, sell our software at high volume to end customers. And I think um, our executive team at the time was smart where for a data-based company, you really need people around the product set to be able to sell uh, at scale. I mean, look at what Oracle did in the 90s. They didn't sell by themselves. They had Accenture really behind them, which helped them accelerate. So we invested in partnerships early, but we had to, to John's point, start from the ground up. 
Um, because at the time, we really didn't have any partnerships that were working. Um, what my strategy has always been is to put a sales lens on what types of partnerships we go after. Um, being someone that's come from sales, I've also come from services and pre-sales. I've kind of put that lens in two uh, vectors. First vector is, does the customer care about the partnership we're about to sign? Okay. And if they, they care, probably in three ways. First, does a partnership that MongoDB signs help a customer with delivering our software and supporting our software better? Number one. Okay. Mm -hmm. Number two, does the partnership sign allow the customer to have an ecosystem tools and other products that work with my software so they can build solutions faster? Number three, does the partnership help the customer buy my software, procure it easier in all parts of the world? So I kind of first put a customer lens. Does the partnership fit into one or all three of those buckets? If the answer is yes, then how do I translate that into increasing sales productivity for my sales reps? Okay. If that partnership, if I sign that and I get my team to go spread that worldwide, will it help the MongoDB sales reps drive more sales productivity? Will it help them sell more sales software? Will they help them extend their reach into customers they haven't even seen before? Or will it help them elevate their stance within a customer that we have as install base? When you put that together, then you get a handful of partners that you double down. Okay. Um, I'm not one for where you just like have hundreds of partners that you focus on. You really should get the ones that fit into all those buckets and then you go deep. For MongoDB, that's definitely the cloud providers, okay? We have huge partnerships with AWS, Google, and we're growing our partnership with Azure. It's also very important for us to have system integrators working with us because, as I mentioned earlier, if you're a, a database vendor or a data vendor, most likely enterprise customers are going to rely on system integrators to write new software with your product or modernize legacy with your product. And third, if you're a data provider, you're also gonna be looking for other software companies to embed your software, which we call ISVs, independent software vendors. I want other companies to embed my database in their stack and go sell their stack to a variety of end customers. Right. And then finally, especially in areas in Asia and public sector, you need resellers because there's parts of the world you can't hire lots of sales reps to go cover. So you want distributors and resellers to be able to go cover those spaces as well as handle some of the compliance regulations that the, uh, those end customers require through a distributor. So if you put, if, to summarize, if you put the customer lens on, does the customer care about this partnership? And second, if so, will it help my sales reps increase sales productivity? If you if if that's if both fit, then you go deep with a partnership. I know many partner leaders that focus on marketing partnerships. I don't believe in those because you only have so much time. I care about customer first, and then how are we going to increase my sales productivity reps, uh, sales reps productivity second? Now, Alan. A lot of times you can sign an agreement 
you know, corporation to corporation, right? And you can get what I call like a blue ribbon agreement, meaning it was a nice agreement at the top, but there's no underlying relationship at, let's call it the street level, you know, sales reps in territories to sales reps from the partnership, you know, in territories. So can you talk a little bit about how do you gain traction early on or even initially with a partner to make sure that you can build that trust and build that relationship? Yeah, it's a great point. It does start in this on the street. If the local sales leaderships from both companies are not tied at the hip, global partnerships do not work. They may help with some marketing awareness. They may get um, you know people excited on LinkedIn, but if there's no real tied at the hip in the geos, it doesn't work. Now, in order to do that, you can't just be like, well, hey, you know, John and uh, Joe, you guys should go meet for coffee and talk about the partnership. You need to find out what's in it for each of them. Mm-hmm. So seller comp is critical. Do both sales teams get paid on the mutual solution? That's something I always think about. Second, I want the other side of my partnership to want working with MongoDB badly. So what can I do to convince them to want to call my local sales rep and say, we should engage? So let's talk about a cloud provider. A cloud provider's sales rep has to drive consumption of their clouds. They would go to a bank, try to convince that bank to migrate many, many applications that are on-premise to the cloud. And that cloud provider sales rep is going to be motivated to do an upfront annual commitment with that bank. Okay, so AWS calls them PPAs, private pricing agreements. Azure calls them commit to consumes. Google calls them commits. So their job is to go get the end customer, the bank in this scenario, to buy a lot of cloud infrastructure upfront for multiple years. So that's why you've seen in the earnings uh, calls from the cloud providers that they have a backlog of commit contracts that have been sold. Mm-hmm. Recently, one cloud provider on earnings had $80 billion of commit backlog that has to be burned down for that cl- cloud provider to recognize it as revenue. So the sales rep's job is to sell the commit Okay, the cloud provider sales job, sell the commit to the bank, but also burn it down. So what my team's job is to convince that cloud provider that MongoDB is one of the best ways for them to burn down those commits, which we are. Because it's not just my software burning it down. I talk about all the other software that my product drags to the equation. So I've convinced my team to go speak to these sellers at the cloud providers that for every dollar you bring in MongoDB into your account, there's seven to 10x more of other services that you can sell to drive down that commit. So when you have a talk track like that with the partners, sellers, and both sales teams have the right sales compensation models, then these things work in the field. If those aren't aligned, they become corporate partnerships. And to your point, John, they don't stick. Yeah. And at the end of the day, 
Alan, it's really once both, you know, your sales rep and the partner sales rep close a deal and put commission money in their pockets. That's when trust is established. And then you can build and maintain a long-term relationship. Otherwise, <laughs> it just doesn't happen. And then we celebrate the win and we yeah. celebrate it at scale. And you know better than anyone, sales reps like to talk to each other, both good and bad. And if the sales reps uh, from the Mongo side does a great win because the cloud provider, uh, his partner rep helped us, sales rep helped us, he's gonna tell, she's gonna tell other sales reps and we're gonna promote that win wire across both companies to drive it at scale. Eventually you hit a critical mass where it becomes second nature for both companies. But in the early days, you got to get those wins quickly between sales reps and promote it to all the worldwide teams. And do you think that the um, second nature, as you described it, is based, again, based upon momentum because more and more reps from each side are winning and winning and, and, and getting paid commissions? It's based on 100% based on momentum and trust. Um, partnerships can also fail very quickly. Um, to your point, in the street, people want to sell deals. They want to help customers. They want to put coin in their pocket, um, and they're going to spread the word. But their partnerships at the central level, they can be struck quickly, but they also can be destroyed quickly. And so, what, what do you think is the biggest things that start to destroy um, uh, trust? Or so back to trust. For example, compensation models could be changed. For example, um, competitive products can be focused on. So it's important that while you're working, you're having the teams in the field work closely together with momentum, that centrally you are looking after the partnership to make sure there aren't changes made that will stall the partnership. And those usually tie to compensation, competitive products, uh, lack of focus, or you spread yourself too thin. Maybe centrally you're working on too many partnerships and you don't have time to double down on the ones that are working. Right. So then let's talk about how you, once you start, you gain traction initially, you're starting to get some wins. Then on the opposite side, how do you think you can turbocharge um, a relationship? Well, with the, let's talk about the um, SI partners for a second. Okay. All right. Yeah. So SI partners, care a little bit about, you know, with the cloud partners, they care about the attach of what my product will bring them and burning down their backlog. SI partners care about something a little bit different. They care about selling services, consulting, that are extremely strategic for the CXOs of their end customers and are high margin. It's mainly billable hours, right? They want billable hours, but they want high margin billable hours. Right. So they're burning down, burning down more people they can put on it. And the more hours they can burn, the more profitable it is for them. Correct. And the biggest is a high margin engagement to your right. Point. So, for example, if the consulting firm is working on a project that the CXO cares about, like cloud migration, they can put more architects on the engagement, which are more high, higher billable rate with more margin. If they work on like outsourcing projects that CXOs don't care about, they're considered commodity. So the big consulting firms want high margin, 
projects. Cloud migration is still the biggest kind of SI projects that are going on. So to turbocharge a partnership with an SI, you need to go help them with that journey. Mm. So what we did at MongoDB is we came up with a certification program where within 20 hours, we can train an SI architect to become a leader in cloud migration with one caveat. We teach the SI architects how to modernize the customer's estate as they move to the cloud and not just migrate or what we call a lift and shift. So we came up with an innovative program that the SI architects will want to get certified because it helps them with the career to turbocharge partnerships with like with the likes of Accenture and TCS and Infosys. So there's ways that companies like MongoDB can get big with SIs if we help them with the cloud migration journey and come up with ways where the architects want to lead with your product through certification because it's going to help them become more billable. Right. They don't want to just do lifts, lift and shift either, right? That's right. It's a commodity learning. migration. Anybody can do it. Right. Now, let's go back to cloud providers just for a second. They're both a competitor to MongoDB, and they're also partners. So talk to us a little bit about some of the challenges of managing, let's maybe channel conflict and also promoting business with a competitor that's also a partner. Co-opetition. Yeah, <laughs> What's that? Co-opetition. Yeah, co-opetition. I, I had a lot more hair uh, before I uh, got into this. You're war. still doing good, brother. I'm still working on it. Um, uh, let's just say, look, the cloud providers are also battling amongst themselves. Okay. And it's not just AWS, Azure, Google. Um, you have the Chinese providers in Alibaba, Tencent. You have the IBMs of the world uh, in and Europe, for example, with data sovereignty, the likes of uh, OVH and uh, DigitalOcean and Ionis all are in play. So it's not just the big three. There's all a battle to win um, end customers' estate as they move to the cloud. Mm-hmm. As part of that battle, you know, they've been looking at what to do with open source software and provide it as a service. And cloud providers have figured out that some of the stickiest, most lucrative services to offer in the cloud are database services. All right, database services, um, back to the attached that I mentioned earlier, they're going to be sticky because the customers have got to move their data to the cloud. And once you move the data to the cloud, it's really hard to move it from one cloud to the other. So that's the, the, the estate that everyone wants. So the cloud providers have dabbled in taking open source software and offering as a service. And MongoDB software, we believe and we argue, is open source. That's why we've had over 250, de- sorry, 200 million downloads of our software worldwide because customers, developers love it. So some of the cloud providers have offered their own MongoDB uh, compatible service, which we don't support or work with, but does create that channel conflict, John, that you mentioned. My strategy has been to win with my products and partner with the folks who want to partner with me. So 
Uh, three years ago, we first started a great partnership with Google. Google did not have a competing product. And that partnership took off. Uh, their CEO, our CEO, tied at the hip, working closely in the field back to working in the street. And at the time, Google was a smaller cloud. They were not really in the mix with AWS and Azure. But because of the lack of competition with that open source competing product that I mentioned, we went big there. And we started winning uh, where Google was strong in retail, for example, where Google has a really good footprint. And that made the other cloud providers think about reassessing their partnership with us. So about uh, two years ago, we tried again with AWS. And I think, I mean, it's in the press. You can read about it. Two months ago, we struck both a global partnership with AWS, which worked because in the last year, we saw momentum in the, in the field where the two companies are very well aligned. I would consider Atlas almost a first-party product on AWS. And now that partnership is, is really taking off. And customers are smart. They're going to pick the best product that works for them. And many of them pick Atlas on AWS over any competing product. So I first, um, our team first was like, all right, let's go out and work with the cloud provider that didn't want to compete, which made the other providers want to engage because they would lose business. And then with AWS, we really went strong in the field. And that partnership started taking off. And now that partnership is better than ever. And Azure is growing as well. We're working on that partnership. But competition is something that if you're an open source software vendor, you need to be um, savvy about. And the best thing to do is get the partners who want to engage with you first. The others will come on board as you show traction. Hey, Johnny, let me... Um... Let me switch gears a little bit. I know yeah. we're gonna we're gonna talk more about some of those high-end cloud providers in other countries. Before we go there, I want to talk to you, Alan, about the theme that's emerging. I'm sure in people's heads. On you keep talking about your team, and I want to talk about the infrastructure. So many times, at force management, we get the benefit of working with some of the greatest companies on the planet, and this is not an easy thing to do. You talked a little bit about setting up the channel and how do you like from a team perspective, Alan, without being rude, when people don't do it right, sometimes the channel becomes the, the, the land of the misfit toys or the, yeah. <laughs> um, the uh, and I don't mean to be rude. I just mean that's and, and people wind up in the channel versus, you know, getting MIT graduates and aerospace engineers like you leading the channel. How do you get, how do you get the right people in the channel and, and what is the characteristics of the right people for the channel? Just because you're great on sales or you're great in product or what have you doesn't mean that you're going to be great in the channel. Would you mind spending a little time with that? Because I don't think companies do that very well. I think that's, first of all, you, you nailed that. And it's true. Um, and I'll tell you this true story. Back in 2015, uh, I got pinged by, uh, by both John McMahon and Dave about MongoDB. At the time, I, didn't, I was at, still at BMC uh, and I was on the sales side. Um, and I didn't really understand MongoDB, but I knew Dave was there. Uh, and, um, 
And it made sense to just go speak to him about the company. The more I learned about it, the more I fell in love with it. Um, and then we have such great sales leaders here now, folks like Cedric Pesh, who's our CRO, a brilliant, uh, probably the smartest sales leader I've ever worked for. But awesome. back, in back in 2015, when I first interviewed with Dave, he mentioned, hey, Alan, what do you think about a channel rule? Running channel here. The first thing that popped into my head, John, was my career is over. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It's like, I'm but why? <clears throat> why did you think that, though? Talk about kind of the reality of what most, you've seen out there. I'll be, I mean, let's be realistic. Most yep. scale organizations are the junior varsity team. Okay. They're the place where people go where they can't sell or they're in the retirement mode. They want a kind of cushy landing um, before the golf course. Uh, and that's just reality of how the channel in the past has been um, considered. Now, what I thought at the time, though, is after I learned about the company is how do, how do companies like Mongi even flourish without the channel? Right. Right. And I did some research like Oracle. Okay. Oracle for all the good and bad Oracle in the nineties was a juggernaut. And the reason, one of the reasons why they truly took off is they had the likes of Accenture positioning Oracle yeah. database and applications everywhere. If you get it right, it is the X factor. So what got me excited is, imagine if we could do that at Mongo, make the channel the X factor. So at the time, um, I kind of had a chip on my shoulder. John was in many of our QBRs. He knows um, that you know, the channel always got kind of a joke made and I would always perk up and be like, what do you mean? Like, let's, and yeah. I, I, I internalized that and I wanted to prove that it can be different. So the type of people we also hired, we were looking for people that were similar um, with sales reps. We were looking for people that were smart, that had grit, that worked hard, but most importantly, we're willing to do pipeline generation. I have so many partner candidates that have never been asked to do pipeline generation ever, have never been asked to, hey, where can you roll up a list of contacts that you're going to email every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday with a defined message to try to get them on the phone to talk about a deal or talk about a, an opportunity? Most partner people have never done that. So we were looking for needles in the haystack at the time. And many of the people we first hired didn't, were, not, were similar to me. They weren't from the channel. They were from sales. And over time, those folks have done so well that many, many other organizations are now looking for partner people that can do pipeline generation. Mm. Um, but I do think at the time, uh, Partner organizations were more in a fulfillment kind of role. Yeah. And that now, I believe, has changed for the top ISVs. I know the other um, ISVs similar to us that have IPO in the last three years. And if it wasn't for their channel organizations being um, sales first, customer uh, centric, they would not be where they are today. So what you're saying is... Um you have to be an exceptional seller because 
if you're going to go into the channel, you have to not only understand the role of the seller, you have to understand the value proposition, not only to the end customer, but you have to, what you just said in pipeline generation, you actually have to help your channel partners get unstuck and be successful with your solutions with their customers. So you can't not be a good seller and take that role. You're trying to, it's, 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 it's a complex sale. You're now trying to get other people at other companies to sell for you. Yeah. And convince them to do it. And then obviously you would get involved as the deal matures. Um, so that's why you do need to look for people that are super smart, uh, work hard, but, and are willing to do pipeline generation because you got to do that at scale, right? You got to do that with many, many partner reps across, for example, the cloud providers. So at the time, we, we, most of the people I hired at the time were from sales. And now I've seen more and more ISVs kind of replicate the model yeah. where their partner people are just as sales-centric as their sales teams. Now, there are once, a lot of JV teams out there, though, John. Yeah. One, in the past, it used to be the only time that you went after your channel person. He was your best friend. He or she was your best friend at the end of the quarter. Yeah. <laughs> so you could hopefully yeah. jam a deal through. But yeah. Alan's really, yeah. 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 Alan's really and, and Johnny, all joking aside, though, when we interview partner communities like we do with our customers, we can tell instantly whether or not there's value being provided or the relationship is what's the forecast, what's the forecast, what's the forecast. And the reciprocal relationship from the partner is I need points, I need points, I need points. And right. it's like, that's the, that is, that's the, that's the relationship and in, in, in where people don't think of those value propositions out. Last question I have on this, that's really important to me because I also see companies struggle with this, Alan, how do you make the decision to go all in with your partner community, especially around like partner enablement. It's like, we have value propositions that we know work with our customers, the problems we solve, how specifically we solve them, how we solve them differently or better than anybody else and where we've done it before. We enable our sales teams with that great knowledge and skills to do that. And then when it comes to, there's always this question about how much are we going to share with our partners? Like they're going to, like they're going to steal the information or something. And, and like, is the, am I being clear on the, on the choice like you have to make on how much do you share with your partner community versus um, you're, you're, you're trying to figure out how to go all in with your secret yeah. sauce? Could you well, kind of help our listeners yeah, no, with that? No, I think that's a good point. If there, first of all, if there's no trust with um, you and your partner, on sharing uh, enablement information, it's not gonna work. But that's usually because um, the reason for that mistrust is usually because of misalignment on what's in it for them, what's in it for us. For example, yeah. if all that partner's job is to do is ambul ambulance chase your deals in the field and steal points, the last thing you're gonna do is share information with them. Yeah. Okay. So I try to avoid those types of partnerships like the plague. Okay. We like, they're no friends of ours. We almost set up uh, situ we don't, we almost try to block those types of situations. We don't want partners to just ambulance chase what we're doing. On the flip side, when we set up partnerships where both sides are going to get something, partners are bringing us deals. We're bringing them deals. 
We need their help sometimes to fulfill. They need our help sometimes to get uh, into accounts they've never worked on. When you get that kind of collaboration, then there's no one pushes back on sharing information, sharing enablement. Uh, John McMahon has said this well, Alan, you got to be careful. Double down with the ones that work. Be careful spreading yourself too thin. So we've got great partnerships with the cloud providers, with a number of system integrators, with a lot of ISVs. I go deep, deep in those. And we're now starting more tech partnerships where we're figuring out how to round out our portfolio in the space of AI and ML and data warehouse and ETL. So I'm going to go deeper there as well. But what I want to make sure, though, is if you have mistrust in the field with a partnership, of course, people are going to hold back information, and rightfully so. So we try to avoid those situations where there's partners out there that just try to ambulance chase our deals. Yeah. Hey, Alan, can I switch gears just a little bit? You've yes, done an amazing job, and I know that it took a really long time signing agreements with Alibaba in China and Tencent in China. Can, do you want to talk a little bit? Is it okay to talk a little bit about the difficulties of trying to build a partnership, you know, in China? Yeah, I'd, I'd love to. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, at MongoDB, we're lucky. We have a great leader who, who you both know uh, in who's based in Taiwan, Steve Su. Who's Steve Su. Beast. He's, he's a beast. Uh, another BMC guy as well. Um, he runs... Uh, Taiwan, Hong Kong, Korea, and mainland China for us. He's built it uh, from the ground up, and I support him. Obviously, he works for me. I support him here from uh, from Boston, from corporate. But before COVID, I'd be out in uh, Asia four times a year, and I loved it. And I learned a lot about um, China in particular, both, both at BMC back from 2010, but also the dynamics since 2015. China, for all the geopolitical issues aside, there are so many developers in China, it's remarkable the amount of people you can sell software to. But it's hard to do it. Obviously, um, you can't sell software, cloud software that easily there because of the, I mean, I'll just say that China has a, the Great Wall, security wall, which blocks U.S. providers from selling there, and you have to work with local providers to do it. If you can crack the code on how to do that, you can make a lot of money from a software vendor. So what we embarked on is um, trying to strike arrangements that were mutually beneficial with Alibaba, who's the juggernaut there. They're big, obviously, in retail, but also in gaming and finance and automotive and crypto um, and we chased a partnership with them that was mutually beneficial, where both sides would be rewarded if we sold. And we struck that partnership in 2019. It's gone very, very well. Um, one of the keys was finding someone within Alibaba who understood Western software companies. And we have a great sponsor. The gentleman's name is Fei Fei Li, phenomenal guy who gets why MongoDB wants to crack into China and vice versa, why he should want us to help him uh, sell a MongoDB as a service. I've got, uh, other ISVs have asked me about Alibaba, and I always point them to Feifei. And then we struck an arrangement with Tencent. Tencent is the second largest cloud provider there. They're huge in gaming. 
And we saw the need to help our gaming developers in China. We did the same thing. We also um, are thinking about working with the um, U.S. cloud providers, but obviously that there's a lot of challenges with. I'm happy to go more into it. But I would just recommend any ISV that wants to crack into China, they really need to think about a way to work with the local partners, in particular Alibaba and Tencent, or you will be um, leaving a lot of money on the table. Yeah. Good, hey Johnny. Last piece of advice, uh, I, um, Alan, when I think about, I want to get you sitting in the seat of the sales organization and advice that you could give the sales organization on how to embrace a channel organization, what they could get from a channel partner, what should they be thinking about, what are some expectations that the normal sales mind, just a lot of time in the normal kind of direct seller mind, doesn't always think about? Is there some advice that you yes. could give kind of great selling organizations on uh, things that they should, things that they probably could get from a partner community that they might not be thinking about today? Well, I'm, I think there's a dynamic that's happened that in the last five years that to the previous five years, sellers didn't have to worry about. It's not like an option to uh, work with partners anymore, which it could have been maybe yeah. in the early part of the 2000 period. And here's the dynamic that's happened. If you run software in the cloud, the customer's buying motion has changed. In the last five to seven years, customers now buy upfront yeah. infrastructure and commitments with the cloud providers. Back to my earlier point, the PPAs, the C to Cs, the commits. They go to Google, AWS, Azure, the procurement buys in bulk. And that's why there's this massive backlog that procurement has purchased through the cloud providers that now the lines of business within the end customers, the banks, for example, have to consume. So if you're a sales rep, you need to understand that, that if I go to my customer who's a bank, I need to realize that, hey, they may already have $100 million spent with AWS that they have to go consume before they buy a one-off product separately. It's a huge change in motion that sales reps didn't have to worry about seven years ago, five years ago, that now they 100%. With the worry also comes the opportunity, okay? If we've struck a partnership, Mongo, with those cloud which we have, where now the customer can buy my software through the cloud provider's marketplace, which allows them to burn down that backlog. And my sales reps are savvy about that. And I've set up the compensation model where they get paid the same. That's the opportunity. Use that to your advantage, right? Because the customer needs to burn down the commit quickly or they lose that money. The cloud provider needs to burn down that commit quickly or they can't recognize the revenue, which creates a great why now to use MongoDB through the cloud provider's marketplace to sell to the end customer. So sales reps seven years ago didn't have to worry about this. Yeah. Now 
They definitely do because the procurement motion has changed. And if you're a savvy sales rep, you can do much bigger deals faster and your why now gets even better if you're smart about this. Well done. Hey, Johnny, before I do a, <clears throat> before I do a summary, is there any topic that we haven't covered I that we had meant one, to? If Alan could talk a little bit about, you know, there's a dynamic and a relationship that you have to have. He has to have with his CRO, Cedric Pesch, Oh yes, Great on one. setting priorities. Like Alan might be able to say to Cedric, Hey, Cedric, this is what I see going on in the market. Here's where I think we need to go as far as, you know, partnerships and relationships and Cedric may be doing the same thing with Alan. So that communication has to be, you know, really tight. You want to talk oh. a little bit about that, Alan? Yeah, I think your, the CRO, if your CRO embraces the channel and sees it as a force multiplier for the sales teams, good things are going to happen. So Cedric in particular is one of the biggest advocates of using partners. He's the one that's helped me strategize on the cloud partnerships we have, the SI partnerships we have. I haven't even mentioned, but we've also taken equity stake in smaller system integrators to build them up to become the best modernization consultants in the world. So that, but maybe the big SIs one day want to acquire them. So you have a really smart, innovative CRO in Cedric, who's my partner on this, who we're constantly brainstorming on what to do to drive sales productivity. So it's important that your head of partners works for your CRO because you got to be aligned to that in, in, in that fashion. I've seen too many heads of partners work. Um, I'm not saying it's wrong, but I personally would, would not do it this way, work for the head of product or maybe work for the CEO directly. To me, it's got to be aligned to the CRO because it is a sales channel if you're going to want to pull it off. Cedric and I are constantly um, discussing priorities uh, lately, we've been focused on specialization. We want to go deep, uh, deeper on a handful of partnerships. So we're working on ways to do that. Um, Cedric also is looking for ways for us to bring in more sales leader-like talent to the organization. So having a, a super smart, innovative uh, CRO that gets the channel is critical, especially to my job. And um, I'm lucky to have him here. And it is a true partnership where we're constantly brainstorming and challenging each other when partnerships aren't working. Fantastic. Fantastic. All right. Let me do a quick summary and then uh, we'll go into some little fun rapid fire. Um, but okay. a lot of golden nuggets here. When Johnny asked about prioritizing, I loved how you talked about putting on the customer lens and you asked three questions. Does it help? Uh, does it help our our team, our customers, not only our sales community, but also our customer community? Does it help in delivery? Uh, does it help the ecosystem? Does it help uh, our customers buy in all parts of the world? Leading towards the ultimate, does it increase sales productivity? And that was kind of your lens that you put on it that says this is how we're going to prioritize the relationships that we have. You also talked about the importance of partnerships starting at the street uh, and local leadership level being tied at the hip. Um, 
what is in it for the partner, treating them as a customer. I heard you use that language, celebrating the wins. Um, you talked about today, cloud migrations are really ruling and the, and the burns down associated with your partner community and the, um, the cloud providers is the really ruling the day right now, focusing on the, where the focus and the integrations at the customer levels is really on these big cloud migrations. So kind of follow the money and there's blood in the water there, so to speak. Um, you really hit home when you told me about building the uh, characteristics of the leadership team in the channel organization. Uh, they have to be willing to do pipeline generation. If they don't have a great background of doing that, they're not going to all of a sudden learn it in the channel organization. So you're looking for people that can help get your channel organization unstuck with their customers and that value pro uh, proposition. Again, you talked about bright spots there. Um, you took the advice of Johnny early on and where you said double down with the partners that work uh, and don't spread yourself too thin. A really, really great. And um, I'm sure you're going to be a great resource for people. You're probably going to get a lot of reach outs on this is you spoke about how to navigate in China. I know there's probably a whole podcast that we could do on navigating in China, but you have been really identified as not only a company, but you yourself of being a really good expert on that. And I'm sure others are probably going to reach out to you on that. Um, you talked about like seven years ago, well, you kind of had a choice whether you're a seller, whether you're going to engage uh, in the with the channel and learn from the channel and collaborate with the channel. And you you were saying, you know, that train has left the station because the customer's buying motion has changed. So you have no choice but to collaborate with your channel because you're you're just not going to be, especially in cloud, you're just not going to be successful. Yeah. The last point you made around collaboration with the CRO, uh, the channel has to be seen as a force multiplier for the sales organization. So if you're, re if you're running a channel organization right now and you don't believe that your organization is seen as a force multiplier for sales productivity, you got to probably ask yourself immediately, if not, why not? And then you talked about the importance of reporting structure and the head of the partner um, organization has to be aligned to the CRO versus sometimes it's aligned uh, in the product organization. Johnny, what I miss? I just don't think Alan's given himself enough credit for what he's done at MongoDB and, and his ability to recruit a lot of the, uh, you know, reps that know how to do pipeline generation and also some of the directors and VPs that he's recruited um, most people would say that they belong on, let's say, the direct side. But Alan's done such an amazing job with the program; it's allowed him to recruit those types of people into the into the uh, partner program. So, you know, Alan, you've done an amazing job there. And Johnny, again, it's that force multiplier. If you're leading a company and somebody's in the direct side is having a kind, of, I don't want to lose this great resource. Well, the you know. The, the, the individual contributor that could be doing something on one side of the organization and the force multiplier of that individual 
uh, in the channel organization can be can be immense. And I think when people really reconcile those conversations, that's how you get a person like Alan to to run a, a channel and a partner organization. And the results are amazing versus what you could do as one individual contributor on the on the direct side. So well done. Uh, Alan, you mind if we just do a couple of rapid fire questions to get help people get to know you a little bit more? And um, so I'm just going to I'm just going to rattle them off here real quick. Uh, ideal day off of work. Uh, I've thought about this a lot. And this is something that uh, especially with Cedric, I spent a lot of time on an ideal day off at work. I'm not checking email. I'm not uh, on text. I don't even try to bring my phone. And I'm just literally, I don't need to go fly anywhere. I don't need to go play golf, but just like going to the gym, finding sense of calm, um, spending some time with my kids and just not real and detaching. I'm spending time with my wife, detaching from the stress of, of work, but also the stress of the stock market or your taxes or paying bills to me. I don't need to go fly to a fancy vacation or be on a resort, just finding some calm away from the hustle and bustle of, of work. John knows some of the places I go here in Massachusetts, just getting some time to just look at the water and not have to, not have to think That's about a great it. Answer, Sometimes it's great just to be still. It's yeah. a really hard thing to do for a lot of us, but, and cause we always think in the, 10 other things we could do, but so it's really hard to just be still, be calm, yes. as you said. Great answer. Favorite meal? Uh, steak. I probably eat too much of it, but I love, uh, I love a good steak. Um, I got, I got to work on maybe, uh, you know, going a little bit more uh, white meat over time, but uh, I love a good steak. <laughs> barbecued, barbecued on the grill or on the, well, the uh, barbecue in the steakhouse, doing it myself. Okay. Uh, Are you in Boston or New York, brother? I'm in Boston. All right. So best steakhouse. What's best steakhouse in Boston? I mean, Capitol Grill is still is still the best. But now you've got all these like fancy uh, like Strega and everything down in Seaport. Um, uh, but I, I'm usually I'm doing it at home these days because uh, my kids, I have a 14 year old and nine year old. So um, when I'm not working, I'm coaching their soccer games. So. Uh, most of most meals are at home now on the weekends. Yeah, amen. Favorite movie? Uh, I thought about this one. Um, I I'm going to give a TV show a little bit different. I, I'm mm. really into this show uh, Ozark. Oh, Love yeah. it. Love that it. show just so fascinating. And, and I know the last season's out. I hope they do another one someday. But I love that show. So do you do you know really the story behind the? Do you know the story behind the? Um, uh, uh, I can't even remember her name now. The the blonde woman Ruth. who is well, the, she's in Ruth. the show. Her name's Ruth. She's an Ruth. amazing actress. Do you know her personal background story, Alan? No, I didn't. Go look it up, dude. It's okay. amazing. She's actually is uh, she's actually Israeli. Um, it's a really her background story is really really cool. Really cool. Go check that out. That's a great show. Best concert. Uh, I, I would say, um, and people probably uh, don't know this, my favorite concert of all time was Springsteen. I, I saw him in Chicago. Uh, awesome. And, I, you know, I, I like Springsteen, but I, people probably wouldn't have thought of that when they know me. I used to DJ 
uh, in college. Oh, uh, I've some huge. I've DJ three thousand person parties in college. No, but the <laughs> best concert I've been to was with a, a co-worker in Chicago, Springsteen on the floor level. Wow. Three hours minimum. Oh right? yeah, it didn't it? Yeah, you couldn't stop. You couldn't stop. Minimum, so. minimum. Hey, brother, um, what a great, uh, what a great topic today. Great Hold golden nugget. I got something else I want to ask him, John. Oh, go ahead, brother. Yeah. Favorite, cha- do you have a favorite charity, Alan? I, I oh, do. Thank you. I, I do. Uh, and my wife is, is definitely um, uh, a big part of this. We have two charities. One is um, uh, in India, we are, this is interesting. In India, uh, our family donates to a charity called Vision Aid because uh, my uh, wife's gra- uh, grandfather was an orphan. He um, was blind and he had became a great businessman, even with all those challenges and built a great family. Amazing. So um, we donated to this the vision aid. Uh, my, my, my wife's father is big into it because they build schools for um, visually impaired kids in, awesome. in India, which is very difficult uh, mm-hmm. for, for India. It's easier here in the U.S. Um, so we do that in India. And then here in Boston, uh, we, we are, uh, my wife's big into the Home for Little Wanderers, which um, was started in Boston back in 1799. So uh, especially with COVID, it's really important that kids that don't have um, some of the infrastructure that many of us do are, are taking care of. Mental wellness is a big problem. So, you know, whether it's donating or gift wrapping uh, every uh, Christmas, uh, those are the two that we like the best. Those are awesome, Alan. Johnny, Alan, thanks for reminding me on that. Yeah, and no problem. We, hey, uh, Alan, you're a... Uh... You're a freaking superstar, yeah. and Johnny and I are very grateful to have you. I just try to like learn from the best, and both of you guys are you're a part of that. Trust me. I don't you know. You've, you've surpassed that for sure. So thanks a lot for being on the podcast, Alan. So, so many golden nuggets, dude. Thank you so much and for the, for the golden nuggets, and we wish you guys just continued uh, success. Keep crushing it, dude. Well done. Yeah. Thank you. And thanks awesome. for listening to another episode of the revenue builders podcast thanks for listening to today's episode be sure to check us out at forcemanagement.com. management.com